Spotify. Hello. Thank you for choosing the Lackadaisical Libricubicularist Podcast. Without further delay, here is your host, Jordan Maywood. Hello! Welcome to the Librocube. My name is Jordan Maywood and I am the Lackadaisical Librocubicularist. Yeah! Today within the Librocube is Movie Monday. Move over, Monday, slightly. You gotta make room for movies! <laughs> oh boy, that was interesting. Something I like to say at the top of every show, although I do believe very important on a movie Monday, is that there will be spoilers. Please take heed of this warning. It is probably the only spoiler warning that will emit from my mouth hole. Another thing I like to say is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million a dollars. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Or if you don't like the podcast, pass it on to an enemy. Perhaps you rate, subscribe, and comment within iTunes as that is what helps others find podcasts. Thank you very, very much for those who have done so. It does not go unnoticed. I do notice. So, thank you. If you have not done so and are a regular listener, come on! Come on, you! That will, of course, take us into our last piece of podcast-related business, which is today's sponsor, which is the Aperture Science Exoskeleton and Jagger Mech Division. Once again, today's sponsor is a mouthful. It is the Aperture Science Exoskeleton and Jagger Mech Division. Thank you to the good people over there. Again, appreciate it. Appreciation flowing free. Free? Yeah. Flowing free and perhaps free from me, and that rhymes, and you know it rhymes. Do not try to say it doesn't. Uh, today I'm going to do something slightly different as well, because it seemed to work earlier in the week. Uh, I should perhaps say, on that note, a little behind-the-scenes action, that when I say earlier in the week, I mean last week, from your point of view. When I recorded a uh, opening of a book a Wednesday episode on my drive home today, Today, tonight, today, whatever, to, yeah, tonight, I am recording the intro to a Movie Monday episode because uh, I got the time, I got the resources, we can rebuild him, what? Whatever. What I kind of wouldn't mind doing, and it's going to depend on this weather that is looking to get horrendous momentarily, is fit in my first movie called We're... The Millers. They had a bad road trip. I think I may, might quite possibly have a bad one brewing right here with this storm that is just starting to percolate a little bit. Uh, if that happens, I'll just save all my movies for tomorrow, but so far, so not too, too horrible. Uh, the other reason I wanted to get We're the Millers out of the way is because my other three movies, which shall remain nameless for the time being, so as to tease them, Unless, of course, you've read the description of this episode. Hmm. You sneaky, you sneaky bugger. 
uh, are all action movies. So it would be kind of nice to do them all at once, get into that action movie kind of vibe while I talk about them. Whereas We're the Millers, although it does have some action, to be fair, is definitely in the comedy milieu. All right. All right. Or as Quagmire would say, all right. No, no, not Quagmire. Whatever. Someone would say that. Matthew McConaughey from Dazed and Confused. All right. If he drew it out a little bit. Okay, I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm going to try to hop in to Meet the Millers. Starring Jason Sudeikis. Who I'm a fan of. Uh, trying to think what else I've seen him in. I don't think I have, within my brain at least, a huge rundown of his previous films. But I do know from times I have seen him in movies, I've always enjoyed him and his performance. So, you know, good. And Jennifer Aniston, who has done movies that uh, I have enjoyed as well. She has also done movies that I knew so strongly that I would not enjoy, that I have not seen. She kind of quite often falls in those two categories for me. I'm talking the rom-coms, or even just the straight roms. Usually some com thrown in, thrown in there. Those I kind of uh, avoid because I do not like them. Why don't we touch on Friends? Friends is a show that I did watch for the most part, not all the way till the end. I don't really know how everything turned out, kind of ended up, for me anyways, turning into a kind of, meh, you know, it's it's on the air, I'm not going to watch it though, kind of kind of that. My favorite moments on that were any involving Ross and his pickles that he would get in. Probably a number one pickle is going to be involving leather pants and cream and powder. You know what I'm talking about, if you know what I'm talking about. Anyways digressing into TV Tuesday there. Apologies, but I felt it was warranted. Uh, also starring a kid whose name I can't see because of the darkness and the storm that I'm driving through, as well as the girl whose, again, name I can't recall other than her last name is Roberts because she is related to the Julia Roberts. Uh, the Mrs., who I should say I watched this with, gave... Oh, shit, did I... I don't think I got her rating. I think I may have forgotten. I think she gave it a 2 or 3 out of 5. Yeah, uh, rating-wise, I'm going to go... I'm going to go a solid 3 out of 5. Uh, I like to use my 3s for enjoyed while watching, but probably would not watch again. And this fits very, very strongly into that category. And then, in that, there was quite a few laughs... And I did like it. There was no points that I that I said, ah, oh, I don't like this movie, it's stupid. The, that never happened. But I've seen it now, and I don't need to see it again. So, there you go as far as ratings. The storm is getting pretty, pretty, pretty not great. Okay. So if you hear my occasional lapses in talking, it's because I am paying attention to driving. Uh, I, I, you, to be honest, I usually cut those out regardless, so you probably won't notice. Which is further behind-the-scenes action. So, uh, most people in the movie-watching world, and by that I simply mean people who watch movies, probably have seen previews for this just because it was very heavily advertised. 
And the previews are pretty much going to give the entire story away, for the most part. And that is that Jason Sudeikis, in the beginning of the film, he is a drug dealer, and I don't want to say is forced to do something kind, but is sort of finagled into kindness, which leads to all of his drugs and monies being stolen. So he's sort of not only back at square one, but all the money he had belonged to other people, people uh, who I guess you could say are drug kingpins, people played by um, Ed Helms. Yeah, <laughs> it was very interesting actually to see him in this evil role, but to be fair to having it strange, Ed Helms in this role, he did play it kind of a little uh, crazily, unrealistically, on the surface nice, but then underneath will kill you and cut your balls off. So uh, I think that helped to make Ed Helms in the character of a drug kingpin slightly more believable. And I should mention, hilarious! <laughs> I think the standout for me was he made a... <laughs> this is good. He made a ice sculpture. Made a ice sculpture of a... Was it a whale or an orca? Reaching the water majestically while he was riding it and having sex with the blowhole. Uh, <laughs> and his balls were the only thing he exaggerated on this ice sculpture. Uh -huh. Yeah, I remember that. This is not from a note because I can no longer see my notes. This is all off the cuff, as they say. So that is a memory of this movie that has stuck out. Interesting. Anyways, uh, because he's in this jam, Jason Sudeikis, that is, he is forced by Ed Helms to go down to Mexico and bring back some drugs to pay off this debt he owes. I don't know how the sort of idea came about that he thought... Have it, was it Ed Helms' idea? I was out of the room for a little bit at the very beginning of this movie, so I kind of missed this part. How did the idea come about that in order to cross over the border, it would be a good idea to do it not on his own, but with a family to look more legit? Uh, I don't know where that idea came from. doesn't really matter. To get a family, because he does not have one, he scours the globe, or rather scours... Uh, his apartment building and the strip club. Hmm. Which probably needed a good scouring because those things are filthy. But in a good way. <laughs> his wife, he decides, would be perfectly fit by the form of Jennifer Aniston, who, <laughs> it's funny, the missus said that, um, a girl at work said that Jennifer Aniston nowadays will friggin' take her clothes off at the drop of a hat. And I ain't complaining, because she's got a few scenes in this where she shows off her curvaceous curvatures to great effect. Mm -mm -mm. For son, just gets this kid who lives in his building. This kid who's sort of oozing with uh, naivete. I think it's a good way, as good a way to put it as anything. A virgin, uh, nice to everyone, sort of a knight in shining armor despite being incapable of that feat, and just a bit of a, a rube, fell off the turnip truck kind of guy, not very bright. Yeah, this is his character, I assume, and not his actual personality, because then I would feel horrible for saying all these mean things about him. Then there is his daughter, who was kind of how he kind of got in the pickle in the first place, of 
his son, and I'm going to put these in invisible air quotes, his son went to rescue his daughter who was getting mugged, and the muggers then turned on him. That, that was a sort of kind of opening sequence there. She is homeless, apparently, a bit of a badass, and a bitch, and just not very nice. Streetwise, though, smart, as far as that goes, living on the streets, presumably the mean streets. Where are the nice streets? That's what I want to know, and where I want to live. If I ever live on the streets, I'm going to search out the nice streets and live on those. Because I don't know why all these homeless people are living on the mean streets, when presumably there are nice streets to live on as well. Hmm. Bit of a street tangent there. So they go on down to Mexico, as you do. I was kind of surprised by the fact that going down to Mexico and getting back over the border comprised not very much of this film to when you sort of lay it all out. I thought that was going to be sort of the crux of the whole movie, but it was not. Because we learn, and this is sort of one of the main spoilers, that uh, when they made it to Mexico, where all these drugs were kept, and filled up their giant, beautiful, actually, RV with said drugs, uh, they thought they were all paid for, and everything was, as far as drug deals go, was legit. However, it turns out that Ed Helms kind of sent them into the lion's den with the thought that there's no way this is going to work, but let's try it anyways, because this guy owes me a shit ton of money. He sent them into his sort of rival drug dealer's lair to pick up these drugs by saying he was someone he was not. And uh, it worked, which then set off the sort of main part of this movie, which is this fake family led by Jason Sudeikis being chased by the bad guys from the Mexican drug cartel. One of these bad guys is a giant. He is definitely just, if you're going to say, man, that guy's big, this guy is a giant. I've seen him in other movies before. He was actually very good in this. Quite often when you see people who are giant, they uh, are not good actors. But this guy, he had some good lines and a little back and forth. Uh, which was appreciated. Also, is sort of the, the main ringleader of this cartel, who's kind of nondescript as far as uh, movie bad guys, and nothing really good to say or bad to say about him one way or the other. So, meh. That's when this movie turns into a sort of quest movie, which I love a good quest. Uh, getting from Mexico, eluding these bad guys and hijinks along the way. Hijinks that, a couple of times, involve Mr... Uh, again, going no notes here, mustache... Ron Swanson, <laughs> played by... Who plays Ron Swanson? What the hell is his name? Oh, I just got his book, too. Paddling a canoe. Uh, Jesus. Anyways, the man with the beautiful mustache... Nick Offerman, you meathead. Named um, Ron Swanson in his role in Parks and Recreation. He is also in this movie, along with a wife and daughter. <laughs> they, together with the fake family of Jason Sudeikis, have many, many good scenes and hilarity and misunderstandings. And it turns out that Ron Swanson, I'm just going to call him because I can't remember his name, 
uh, is a DEA agent, sort of on vacation in an RV as well. Fellow RVers, if you will. And I think because uh, I didn't want to spend my entire drive talking of this movie, I just ended up doing so because I can't see my notes, which has made me ramble. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up by saying, uh, overall, this movie follows your typical... Very, very, so, so typical. I mentioned this so many times because it comes up so many times. Your typical comedy movie of Jason Sudeikis and fake family hating one another right off the bat. Okay? Then they reach a point in the movie where they've sort of come to grow a respect, a fondness, perhaps even a love among one another. And then something happens that this is all disintegrated and they all hate one another. And then, right near the end of the movie, they all love each other once again. That is a formula that is used way, 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 way too much, and I wish comedy movies would veer away from it. It just... I don't know why it is. I'm very curious as to why it is. Is it because it's easy? Is it because it's been done so many times before that when you're writing a comedy movie and looking at other comedy movies for thoughts and ideas, you're going to copy that underlying formula? I don't know, but it needs to change. It needs to change. Now, that is not to say this is a bad movie and there's not laughs, because there definitely is. It's just I, I yearn for something different. Folks, uh, just about at home, so I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, for me, it will seem like many, many hours before I talk of the next three movies for you. It will seem like much, much less because I'm just going to push this button right here that says transition. And there will be a transition. And I'll start talking of the three uh, action movies. Hey, how does that sound for a plan? I am going to assume in the period I left of silence for you to answer, you said, it sounds like a good plan, Jordan. I look forward to hearing it in seconds. Transition. Hello again. Well, well, etc. Let's talk about action movies. Yeah, getting our action on. Ugh. I have three of them. Why don't I uh, run them down for you, just in case you didn't read the uh, episode description. We've got a little Elysium. A little White House down and a little Pacific Rim for you coming up in the time that takes me to get to work. i got to fit those three in. So let's, without further preamble, hop right in because i got to speed through a little bit. Just a little bit, though. Not a big bet, a little bit. Elysium. Liked what I saw in the previews, had pretty high expectations, and uh, I think for the most part they were definitely met. I'm going to go uh, a solid 4 out of 5. Yeah, I, uh, I enjoyed this movie. I think I like Mac Matt Damon. Uh, I can't think of roles he has been in where I thought, man, this guy is horrible. No, no, I was going to get a lot out of his acting chops, if you will. And I uh, love sci-fi, so that definitely helps. And this is sci-fi done well. It takes place in the year 2154, where all the rich folk of Earth are living in space. Ooh, interesting. Uh, I don't know. I think this is going to sort of fall into the category of when humans get to the year 2154, we'll look back at this and say, what were they thinking? How did they possibly think we'd be living in space by now? 
because uh, a little pessimistic on some of the technologies that exist in this movie actually existing within that many years. I think it's going to take many more years. Very, very cool technologies throughout this. And you could see how they're sort of building on some things that already exist, which I think is always a smart way to go as far as um, science fiction, just because it makes it that much more believable. But uh, I don't think the time frame is likely, let's say. Matt Damon, <sighs> this uh, starts. This movie starts how I like a lot of movies to start, and that's with your main character just having a horrible, horrible day where everything goes wrong. Uh, it's, I, I don't know if it's just me, but it seems that when a movie starts that way, it's going to be a good movie. I, I think probably your prime example is Falling Down with is it Michael Douglas. Yeah, I love that movie, and I think he wins for the worst starting of a day that you could ever have. To the point where it drives him insane. Matt Damon does have a little bit of the insanity creeping in. Rightly so, because part of his bad day involves going to work with an arm that was broken by a robot policeman, I should mention, and then uh, getting a super high dose of radiation that is going to kill him in five days. Unless, unless, he can make it up to where these rich people live and go inside one of these chambers that apparently cures all disease. So that's nice. You could have one of those. Like from cancer, to radiation, to a broken arm, to you name it. Just have a little lie down a couple minutes later. Um, you're good to go. To as much as, I should say, a sh like a shotgun to the face. Yeah, you're fine. Just have a little lie down here for a couple of minutes. You'll be good. I do not see that happening by the year 2154. But uh, it's interesting for the purposes of this story, at least. In order to get up to this rich folk haven, which is not an easy task, I will say, he has to get involved with some criminal. The criminal underworld, underbelly, underneath, even. Uh, and agrees to sort of do a job for them in order to earn a sort of pass up there kind of idea. This job involves getting one of these rich folk who are highly protected when they are on the planets and uh, tapping into his brain and stealing information. Which is just what happens. The information then is stored within Matt Damon's head. Thus starts sort of the rest of the movie and the great chunk of this movie where he is being sought after by these rich folk who, as you can imagine, are incredibly powerful. Uh, because they want the information in his head. Because the information in his head is basically, I think if you want to just boil it down to an easy way to think about it, is all the codes that can control Elysium, which is the name of the rich folk space station, are now within his head. And uh, obviously, they don't want just some guy running around with these codes in his head, because it is not good for them. It is, in fact, bad. Uh, I should mention, by that point, sort of right after he's irradiated, right before he rips the code out of this rich folk, this rich guy's brain, he has a sort of exoskeleton uh, basically bolted onto him, which makes him super, super powerful and fast and strong, which is helpful for the reason that his radiation makes him weak, so it sort of compensates for that, but like tenfold. The strength of ten men, you might say. 
There is a love interest that feels a little kind of sort of kind of tacked on, as sometimes it does in action movies. It's just a girl he knew when he was younger, and they were in love when they were kids, I guess. Okay, sure. And uh, they meet up now. He has no one to turn to when he is injured, and turns to her because she is a doctor. She gets sort of wrapped up in this whole intrigue and bad guys chasing and stuff and gets kidnapped and taken up to Elysium. That is not good as a sort of bargaining chip, I guess was the thought there. Yeah, okay. Uh, Jodie Foster is, I guess, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of. Well, it's interesting. One thing I like about this, actually, is that this movie kind of has two bad guys. One is Jodie Foster, and she is sort of the head of Elysium, or trying to be, perhaps I should say. Um, and then there is her henchman, who's this guy, I think, is it a New Zealand accent? I'm pretty sure it was. Well, not 100% sure. So I will say, if you saw Elysium, is the uh, the main mechanically inclined bad guy. Is he a New Zealander? I think he might be. Anyways, in an effort not to give too, too much away, I will say between these two, Jodie Foster and this $6 million man New Zealander, there's a bit of a double cross, perhaps. Hmm? I won't say who. I won't say who. But uh, it all happens on Elysium, and that's kind of where we end the story with shit going down. Yeah. Sort of a poor folk versus rich folk using Matt Damon's stuff in his head to uh, crack the code and uh, take control. Take control of their destinies. Yeah. The, uh, his love interest's daughter has leukemia, so that sets it up for Matt Damon having, having to decide, is he going to make the sacrifice of himself to save this little girl? For the reason that the information in his brain, if it is extracted, will kill him. Uh, again, that seems sort of made up for the purposes of the story, that if we have all this technology that can cure friggin' gunshot wounds to the face, uh, I can't imagine that extracting data from a brain is going to stop you. Seems a little far-fetched. Still, still good movie overall, four to five. Let's move on to White House Down. White House Down, I didn't much care for it, to be honest with you. Can I be 100% Amish with you? It was just sort of a very, very atypical action flick. Uh, I'd go two to three out of five, probably closer to two. It's just there was no real surprises. Everything was sort of... Uh, I wrote down here, Air Force One plus Die Hard plus Hostage. It was this they took elements from a bunch of action flicks and jammed them all together, and not amazingly so. I, I Perhaps it's because I had high hopes, because I'm a big Jamie Foxx fan. Uh, I'm not sure what my opinion on Channing Tatum is yet. After this, it has not gone up. I could, I could say that much. If you are unfamiliar with this movie, uh, Jamie Foxx is the president of the United States of America, no less. And uh, shit goes down in the White House. So uh, because he is the president, that's that sort of Air Force One element to it, where the president is fighting back against the bad guys. The diehard element is in that it's bad guys within the White House where Jamie Foxx and... 
Channing Tatum are in there, and they don't know they are in there at first. That kind of hiding around, slinking around, sneaking around to stop them. Which, uh, that was some of the better parts of the movie. I, I like that. I like that thought. And then the hostage part gets in, where uh, the reason Channing Tatum was in the building was because him and his daughter were doing the tour. Eventually the, eventually the daughter is uh, captured by these bad guys, and they find out that this is the daughter of one of the people sneaking around and killing them, that kind of idea, which is actually totally ripped as well from Die Hard, where they found out that John McClane's wife was his wife and used her as a bargaining chip scene, just totally ripped from. Uh, the other thing is some of the dialogue is just... Uh, it's like a little kid wrote it, and... <laughs> the the bad guy, played by, oh, this is a spoiler, who, when I tell you who the bad guy is played by, uh, James Woods, yeah, he, he did very, very well, he plays a good bad guy, and I liked him in that role very, very much. I'd like to see more of him in roles as bad guys, but uh, it's just the story kind of didn't make too much sense. The reason for him being a bad guy was never fully explained. It was said a couple of times in this movie that the events that are taking place are going to cause World War III, and that just felt so over-the-top and ridiculous that World War III is going to happen if we don't save the day right now. Uh, it seemed to amp up falsely the action by saying that repeatedly. Um, yeah, so I'm going to stick with my two out of five. And move on to Pacific Rim. Yeah, this is another good one. Perhaps it's I need science fiction in my action movies to make me like them. I that I don't think that's true. Die Hard, yeah, I already mentioned that. I love the Die Hard movies. Give those probably like five out of five. Definitely for the first three, anyway. Pacific Rim, I'm going to go four out of five. Yeah, another very, very solid four out of five. Very much enjoyed it. Guillermo del Toro makes a good movie. He knows what he's doing, and it is sort of blatantly obvious that he does whenever you watch one of his movies. They're pretty to look at, uh, well-written, uh, well-dialogued, and things just sort of make sense and click into place. Sort of follow a logical pro progression. They follow a logical progression that just sort of makes sense. And uh, despite this being about giant monsters and giant robots... I need it to at least make a little sense, and it does. What has happened is that a rift, and that's why I, I thought right off the bat that you call this Pacific Rift. That would have made more sense than Pacific Rim. Anyways, that's just one man's opinion. A rift has opened up deep in the Pacific Ocean that is, I guess when you boil it down, a tear in reality to another dimension. Pouring through this rift, on a regular basis, are giant-ass monsters. Kind of Godzilla-like, I suppose. When you really sort of think about it, this is a little bit of a Godzilla-y movie, but done with slightly more, with a slightly larger budget, and never is there a man in a rubber suit appearing on screen. At least I do not believe there is. Uh, the first handful of monsters that poured through this rift destroyed a shit-ton of cities. Always cities sort of cities on the coast of the Pacific, and they were eventually taken down by sort of normal means, meaning army, planes, tanks, and what have you. 
However, they quickly realized that this wasn't going to work for long. So, uh, I don't know how they made the leap that the only way to stop these giant monsters was to create giant robots. Huh. One sort of suspension of disbelief you will need is that these giant robots need to be controlled by two people. They are hooked up sort of directly to your brain, which... As far as controlling giant robots, that's a good way to go about it, and that is not original in its thought there. However, the human brain, for some reason, is not strong enough to control these giant robots one-on-one. -on -one. You need two people to control, uh, almost like within a human brain, it is broken up into two hemispheres. So is, so is uh, these robot brains as well. Uh, another thing is that the people controlling these robots need to be sort of intertwined with one another. So like a husband and wife, uh, brothers, people who like each other, father and son, that sort of idea. For example, uh, Charlie Hunnam, Hunnam? Anyways, the guy from Sons of Anarchy, who the missus is in love with, yeah, <laughs> he and his brother are fighting one of these, and the brother is killed. So it's sort of, a lot of this is his shot at redemption, fighting these monsters again, because their appearances are becoming more and more frequent, frequent to the point where these robots just ain't cutting anymore. So that ain't good. The sort of head of the robot fighting league, huh? No, that's something else, is played by Idris Elba, and he has come to the realization that they can't hold out for much longer, so they need to go to this rift and blow the shit out of it. Charlie Day, through his braininess, which is kind of funny to see, Charlie Day of uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia fame, who plays one of the biggest, uh, let's just go idiots, on television today, play a super nerdy scientist, and it's pretty amazing, actually, how he can go so quickly back and forth between these two characters and have a sort of underlying personality kind of feel to it, and yet one is incredibly smart and one is incredibly not. So uh, I very, very much liked him in this role. He was actually, for me, I think the highlight of this movie was him as well as his interaction with Ron Perlman. They, together, what I want to see more than anything is a friggin' buddy cop movie. Ron Perlman, Charlie Day, I would pay to see that. I would pay! money to see that, even. So, please, someone make that. Perhaps, and this happens from time to time, I might work that into the title, something Buddy Cop, Charlie Day, Ron Perlman. Mm, yeah, Jordan, think about that, and perhaps do it. Anyways, Charlie Day, in his super intelligence, uh, uses this ability to hook brains together that is needed to control these robots to hook his brain up to a a dissected sort of brain of one of these giant monsters. This allows him to kind of learn their plans and also learn that letting off a giant atomic bomb right beside the rift is going to do nothing. In order to stop it from happening, you need to go into the rift, which is what Charlie Hunnam does. And saves the day. Yeah, saves the day even. There's a, a bit of a love story. Again, is it necessary? It kind of was for the reason that I mentioned the two people controlling these Jaggers, as they're called, 
J-A-G-E-R. Always makes me think of Jägermeister whenever someone said it, which I used to drink quite, quite heavily with Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper and Jägermeister, that's a drink. I'm not sure if I invented it. I know I'm the only one I ever have seen drink it. Uh, yeah, the love interest. So they sort of developed this Charlie and this uh, girl, this girl who wants to fight these monsters for the reason that they killed her family, bit of a revenge story on her side. And uh, let's just say the day is saved. Yay. Something I like about this movie and Elysium, maybe to a lesser degree, is that the science fiction, although seems like it wouldn't happen on the time frame that this has, and I forget what year this started in, uh, it is somewhat explained and somewhat believable. And I like believability in my science fiction. I know that seems weird, but uh, but I do like it. My, my last final note before I wrap up this Movie Monday is to say that the voice, the computer voice of uh, these Jaggers, these giant robots, was done by GLaDOS <laughs> from the Portal series. GLaDOS, the super intelligent, super sentient, evil robot from the Portal series uh, to the voice of this, of these giant robots. And uh, I very, very much appreciated that. And it was like a little tip of the cap that did not go unnoticed. Folks, that will leave one final thing to say, which is, of course, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address. Jordan at gmail.com And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Till the warm-up's underway Wait till our lips have met Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine? The best is yet to come, come the day you're mine Live long and prosper.